my dad is a pastor, and uh, when he was kind of teaching me the ins and outs of preaching, he said, when you get up to preach, you got to find some way to condense all your notes to one piece of paper because nothing's worse than when the preacher gets up and pulls out a whole stack of papers with his note. He said, you may not be able to hear the groans from the congregation, but you can feel the groans. Well, I'm using this. So y'all have no idea how many pages of notes I've got. And now it can't recognize my face. So joke's on me. That's how it goes sometimes. So I got an email in uh, the middle of this week from, uh, from our church secretary saying, could you please give me the call to worship text for Sunday night's sermon? And I said, well, you must be confused because I never signed up to preach Sunday night's sermon. And she said, well, you might want to talk to Josh Womble about that. So I went back and looked through my emails, and sure enough, I never told anybody that I was going to preach tonight. And I told Josh Womble that, and he said, oh, well, I may have just put you in there. Could you do it anyway? And I said, yes, I could. What book is it? And he said, Obadiah. And I said, all right. And then I read Obadiah, and uh, I got to be honest, I kind of regretted that I said I was going to preach it, because the first uh, four verses, here's how Obadiah starts. This is the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent out among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against Edom for battle. I will surely make Edom the least among the nations. You will be completely despised. Your proud heart has deceived you. You that live in the clefts of the rock, whose dwelling is in the heights, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down low, says the Lord. And there's about 15 more verses that are a lot like this of death and destruction for people from Edom. And then it caps off with, uh, with an uplifting verse, closing it off with verse 21. Those who have been saved shall go up to Mount Zion. They shall rule Mount Esau and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. So having read that and knowing that this series is uh, the good news from these Old Testament books, I really did have to sit back and say, what is the good news in Obadiah? Because I can imagine if you're an Israelite, that sounds pretty good, but if you're an Edomite, that doesn't sound like much good news at all. And so I had to think about it for a little bit. On the, on the surface, this book and that prophecy sounds very... Uh, straightforward. It reads as if it's only talking about this specific historical situation. There's some kind of beef between Israel and Edom. Something bad happened, and God is going to punish Edom uh, for their sins. But beneath the surface, or built upon that foundational prophecy, there is a message of hope for all people. There is a message of hope for the individual person who is found in God. This book has historical, uh, or has good news on three levels. There's historical good news for the nation of Israel. There is an end times good news for all of the people of God. And there is an every moment and hopeful resurrection good news for the individual person who is found in God. And I want to walk through those kind of three levels of, of the good news found in Obadiah. 
We want to start off with the good news that, that is really focused on the context and the time in which Obadiah was, was written. So this small book, and maybe this is another part of the good news of Obadiah, it's little. So I didn't have to do a whole lot of digging around. It's only 21 verses, a small book of prophecy. Uh, and it was written at a specific time in which Israel as a nation had suffered betrayal at the hands of a neighboring nation, uh, Edom. Uh, Obadiah describes Edom as a brother nation, as a nation that shared a cultural and even genetic heritage with Israel. They were related. They were brothers. Israel had expected Edom to rise up and help defend them, to be on their side when an, an outside enemy attacked. And this enemy, who we're not told who it is within the book of Obadiah, but an enemy attacked Israel, and instead of coming to their aid, Edom betrayed Israel sold them out to their enemies, and then joined in the spoils of war with this outside enemy. Israel was devastated by this betrayal, as you can imagine. And so after this has happened, Obadiah is given a vision, a prophecy of God's coming judgment and justice on this situation. God has prophesied as coming to vindicate Israel by tearing Edom down from its lofty place and lifting Israel up instead. Essentially, Israel will live to see the sins of their enemies repaid to them, and Israel will be established forever. Uh, several years ago, when I was the associate pastor at uh, St. Paul Methodist Church, we had an Advent series in which we asked, uh, we invited several representatives from other Christian traditions to come and share with us how they celebrated Christmas in their tradition. It was really kind of cool because we got together on Wednesday nights and we had a, a Lutheran pastor come, we had a Franciscan friar come, and we had an Eastern Orthodox priest come. And each of them shared the different ways that their uh, tradition celebrated Advent and Christmas. It was neat because most of us had never really had that kind of experience before. You know, we knew how Methodists did it, and a lot of us were former Baptists. We know how Baptists celebrate Christmas. But, you know, how does an Eastern Orthodox uh, Christian celebrate Christmas? It was really neat. And in that time, they came on different nights, and on the, on the night of the, the Eastern Orthodox priest, uh, he had some question and answer time at the end, and one person in the congregation asked, said, you know, I have a little bit of experience with Eastern Orthodox uh, folks and the church, and I'm curious, why do the Eastern Orthodox churches not want to seem to get together with Roman Catholics on a lot of stuff? Like, it seems like it's been a long time since y'all been fighting. Like, isn't it time to, like, bury the hatchet, you know, and get over it? And can't we work together and worship together? It was really interesting. I mean, you could almost hear a pin drop when Father Corey began this story. He said, for most of you, you may not know how this history works. And for most of you, it may seem silly but in the year 1204, Muslim armies had attacked Constantinople. They had surrounded the city of Byzantium. They had cut off all the supplies to the city. They had killed Orthodox Christians in every town around there. And the Orthodox uh, um, uh, emperor had reached out for help to someone who you would have considered an enemy at the time, to the Roman Catholic Pope. And he said, please send help. We're stuck. We're trapped. We need help. I know we're not on the best of terms, but send help. And in a moment of what seemed like healing, the Pope said, we're on our way. Called together what has now been known as the Fourth Crusade and gathered up Catholic armies from across Europe to send to Turkey to defend Constantinople. 
The armies were huge, and they got to, uh, to Constantinople, and they were ready to defend the city, but they found that they couldn't quite get the hang of it. They couldn't quite win over the Muslim armies, and they couldn't quite secure a victory. Instead, what the Catholic armies of Europe did when they couldn't win that way is they decided to just attack Constantinople as well to sack the city, to take all the gold and jewels that they could to dispose or, or to depose the emperor and to set up a Catholic emperor in his place. Essentially, these who they thought were their brothers coming to help them betrayed them, turned on them, and completely destroyed them. Father Corey, relating a story that had happened in the 1200s, had tears in his eyes as he told us, if your brothers had betrayed you like that, you might be a little wary of reconciling with them as well. I thought about that when I read this in Obadiah because Obadiah describes Edom as a brother nation. Israel at this point is brokenhearted, not just because they were attacked by an, an enemy, but because they were betrayed by a brother. With that story from Father Corey in mind, I can, I can feel it a little bit better, you know? Like from my point of view, I can see this and I say, man, that sounds really harsh that you want to destroy the Edomites, that you're, you're glad that they're being brought down low. But when I think about the real people who must have been involved in this situation, how, how much pain they must have gone through, I can understand Obadiah's point of view. I can understand him crying out to God, will you vindicate us? Will you come and set this right? And... The good news for the historic people of Israel is that God prophesies and promises to do just that, to tear down the nation of Edom and to establish forever the nation of Israel. God will exact vengeance, and he did so in his own time and his own way against the enemies of his own people. The question that I have to ask, though, is what, what does that mean for us today? I often hear people talk about uh, America as a Christian nation and Often people will talk about how persecution in America is on the rise and is worse now for Christians in America than it's ever been. I think we need to be truthful about this and recognize what we call persecution is nothing compared to persecutions that are happening against Christians around the world today. Okay, can we agree on that? We also need to recognize that throughout the course of Christian history, persecution against Christians has often looked much worse and has often been much more widespread than it is today. That doesn't mean it's not a problem today, but it does mean that we want to be truthful when we say things like this. The persecution of Christians in America is not equal with persecutions elsewhere around the world or throughout history. I don't think that it's a fair thing for us to sit and say, we live in a Christian nation, we should compare America with ancient Israel, and we can draw those comparisons, and we should want the same things that ancient Israel wanted. We want the destruction of our enemies. We want to see them torn down. And I don't think that's a fair comparison. I don't. When we are attacked, when we are hated for our faith, I do think that as Christians, we turn instead to what our Lord and Savior said, that we are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. I think the good news for Israel that's found in Obadiah is historical and contextual for the people of Israel in his time. The nation was wronged by God, and in their own time, God exacted judgment on those who had wronged them. And so the first level of good news that we talked about for the historical nation of Israel was exacted in the past, 
And I do believe that that level of the prophecy, that God is going to come and smite your enemies on this national level, I think that that stays in the Old Testament. But don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that I think that there is not good news for us today as well. That's why I actually had uh, Josh read from the book of Revelation instead of from the book of Obadiah to open up this, uh, this service tonight. Because what Obadiah is pointing to goes far beyond ancient Israel. In fact, he points all the way to the end, the end of all time, in which a spiritual Israel, the whole people of God, will be redeemed and established forever. This verse that I closed on, verse 21, that Obadiah ends his book with, where he says, those who have been saved shall go up to Mount Zion and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. I do believe that he is pointing to that song that was read at the beginning, found in Revelation uh, chapter 11, that says the kingdom of the world has, come the be has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he shall reign forever and ever. It's a good news message that embraces more than just the people of one nation. It's a good news message that embraces people of every nation, of every tribe, of every language, of every tongue. It embraces every person on the planet, every person that's ever existed. It's an invitation to salvation. It's an invitation to redemption. It goes beyond this level of this nation versus that. I do think that as Christians, we must be careful and not play politics. And let me tell you what I mean when I say that. I, I mean two things. One, I don't think that we can make ourselves into a voting block or a special interest group. Y'all know what I'm saying? I don't think that there should be anybody out there who's like, well, we got the Christian vote, so we're good. I don't think that that should really be a thing. Okay. And the main reason is because we don't want to allow any other identity to compete with our identity in Christ. I think we can all agree on that as well. We don't want anything to be tied to our salvation that is less than God himself in the person of Jesus Christ dwelling within us. That is what is our blessedness. That is what is our salvation, God in Christ in us. We can't connect our blessedness to our skin color, our national identity, our political party, our cultural heritage, or anything less than Jesus Christ himself. Anything less than the grace of God freely offered to all people, applied on the basis of faith in his son. And so having said that, I think we also can't play politics in this second way. Our faith is not a sports match. It's not a competition of us versus them. Our faith is not our tradition versus a different tradition, our denomination versus a different denomination, our nation versus a different nation. Our faith is an evangelical faith, which seeks the salvation and redemption of those who we would call our enemies, not their destruction. We are not seeking the destruction of our enemies. We are seeking their salvation. And that means that we should not be classifying ourselves as us good Christian people versus the, them heathens over there. Instead, we should see that what God is doing in us, he has offered to do in them. It tears down that dividing wall, as Paul says, between us and them. And in the end, there is only grace. We can't play politics in that way either. Because I want you to just imagine for a minute that you're an Edomite. I don't even know what an Edomite really is, what they look like, what they talk like, I don't know. But imagine that you're an Edomite, and someone has handed you the book of Obadiah. They say, here's the good news. They hand you this book of Obadiah on the street. It's, it's a short book. You can imagine, it's like a gospel track, right? It's little. 
They hand you Obadiah and they say, here's the good news. If you're an Edomite and you're reading that, and all you're reading is, you know, I've never known anybody from Israel. I don't even know what Israel is. I certainly have never done anything to anybody from Israel. But the entire book of Obadiah, all it says is Edom will be destroyed. Edomites are the worst. They're going to rot, you know. If you're reading that, it doesn't sound like good news. But the blessedness of the gospel is that on this next level, on this level of, of the salvation of the people of God, an Edomite can also belong to the spiritual Israel. The good news is presented, is offered, is invited to all people. It's not on the basis of what your people have done in the past. It's not on the basis of what you've done in your past. It's not on the basis of your national identity. It's not on the basis of your politics. It's not on the basis of your race. It's not on the basis of your language. It's on the basis of the grace of God given in Jesus Christ. Will you accept it or not? That is where salvation comes from. And on that level, I can see the deep and holy good news of the book of Obadiah, that those who are wronged by sin and injustice will be raised up on this day of judgment. Which brings me to this last point. The good news for the individual person who is found in God. If you are one of God's people, then knowing that God will ultimately right all of the wrongs in the world, that is certainly good news. But there's a deeper good news. A good news for you personally. I'm about to really like pull the curtain back and be vulnerable with y'all. You ready for this? You're probably not ready for this. Sometimes in myself, I have moments where I certainly identify myself with the spiritual Israel. Oh, Erica could probably tell you that I do this more often than I should. That I'm a, man, I think right, I speak right, I act right, I know. Like I'm a Christian and I act like it. You know what I mean? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Hopefully I'm not the only one who thinks like this. Is that sometimes I can see what I've done, what I think, what I say, and I'm like, I'm good. I'm on the way, you know? Hopefully more times than not, this is the case with me. But if the Apostle Paul can say that there are things that he wishes he could do but doesn't seem able to do them, and there are things that he wishes he was not doing but doesn't seem able to avoid them, I know that I'm not the only one who also sometimes can see that my thoughts and my words and my actions don't align with Jesus Christ. That there are times when I'm out of alignment. I think that some of the good news found in Obadiah is that within each one of us, within myself, those pieces of me, those elements of me that I would say align with Edom, those things that whenever I act selfishly or thoughtlessly, whenever I act pridefully or I, or I think in a way that I shouldn't, when sin drives the decisions in my life, those things that would align with a spiritual Edom, those things are in competition with these other things, these elements of myself that are in alignment with a spiritual Israel, that within me is found both Edom and Israel. Or as Martin Luther put it, we are each both sinner and justified at the same time. And a piece of the good news that's found in Obadiah is in that great day of resurrection, both of those will be resurrected. Both of them will be brought before judgment to God and they will be set to right. The Edom that is within my heart will be judged and destroyed, ultimately. And the Edom, or, and the Israel that is in my heart, 
will be judged and uplifted, established forever. The good news is that although right now we kind of suffer in this in-between place where we are both sinner and justified at the same time, that we are both Edom and Israel at the same time, there is coming a day when Edom will be judged in each one of you. And Israel will be uplifted in each one of you. On that day when the blood of Jesus Christ has completed its work, when your salvation is finished, on that day, Edom will be no more in you. And you will experience the blessedness of being a fully transformed, fully alive, made in the image of God, human being. You will be established forever, just like this promise for Israel in the book of Obadiah. The day is coming when God will raise all things to his sight. When every vestige of Edom, in every nation, in all creation, in every person will be put to rest. And when every element of Israel will be risen up and established forever. The promise is for you, for me, for all people. The invitation stands wherever we are, whoever we are. God knows us. God will raise us up to this glorious resurrection. In Christ, we are made heirs to the height, the depth, the breadth of every promise made for Israel. In Christ, we are established forever. This is the good news of all time, even as it is found in Obadiah. This night you have heard the word of the Lord. Now go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.